Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel and I'm here with Pastor Troy. Bum, bum, bum. We're really excited to talk about the Bible today. We are excited. So um, we're gonna go. We're it gonna was, go in the summary. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good week of reading because we trans we finally ended the Book of Job. Finally, and Job ends on a positive it's note. A, you get a good payoff. He for does. Job. He does. In that last chapter, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff happening. Yeah. It's like it is. It happens so fast though. It's like you. It's like that. Really, it's like we're wrapping this up. Everything. It's like everything. It's like bad, 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 bad for like 39 chapters. Bad, 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 and then like one chapter of oh everything, everything worked out good. good. Job lived happily ever after. There you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we go into Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a uh, there's just I mean there's a lot of stuff. I think Ecclesiastes is is a great book to use with your non Christian friends. To kind of draw them into the reading of the Bible, to understand the Bible, because it's like a lot of a lot of principles that are in Ecclesiastes, a lot of things that are said are things I hear people say who've never even read the Bible. Yeah, and uh, and because it was just Solomon examining life, and and it's kind of nice to see, uh, or nice. Sometimes people need to know that the Bible meets us where we are, and and then takes us from there to where we need to be. But uh, I think it, it brings it down, to, makes makes everybody feel just a little bit more normal and it kind of humanizes it it does it does it says ah these are these were people just like us these weren't superheroes these are these were people who had the same struggles we have uh the psalms are always good uh and then we're in first corinthians and the letter to first corinthians Ooh. probably same thing I, I probably say that's probably you know we, we always talk about the gospel of john the gospel of john is powerful i mean it's command the gospel but first corinthians is helpful just to see churches the church has been messed up oh man <laughs> so and yet God calls them saints. I mean, or Paul, Paul, God through Paul calls them saints, and uh, and so even in their messed up state, they are, uh, you know, it. it yeah. So there's a lot of wisdom there. So so some really good reading uh, for the week, and we're going to talk about some things that we picked out of the reading and things that stood out to us uh, when we come back. All right, here we go. We are going to talk about what we, you know, every time I say this, I think about in VeggieTales, at the end of every VeggieTales episode in the classic ones, mm-hmm. Bob and Larry are in front of QWERTY, the computer, which I now realize is a super creative name for a computer. Yeah. Um, and they say, it's time to talk about what we've learned today. And then that song plays, maybe we can get it in the podcast at some point. We'll have to look up the royalties on that. But yeah. Uh, so there's this whole song that plays through my head, so it distracts me every time <laughs> I'm about to get into what we're talking about. But um, yeah, I was going to kind of handle some of the Old Testament stuff today in Job uh, chapters 38 to 42. It's that huge payoff. You know, you ever watch a movie that's just a slow burn for a long time, and it's like building and building and building, and it's like bad, 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 and then at the end it's like, oh, there it is, finally, thank you. Um, that's like Job, except the movie is like, 18 hours long and it's less <laughs> bad than just like it's kind of boring <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you know what? I, I do. I get I get weighed down by it every time I read it. Yeah. And it's like I and I think it's because like there are in each time each time you because we do like two chapters, and each time you're reading it, especially when you're reading the friends, their mm-hmm. comments, right? Because you're like, none of this really. None of this matters, you know. Right. I can't I know, apply I, this to my life because it's wrong. <laughs> no, because everything you're saying is wrong, and so it's like, so I'm just waiting through this, mm-hmm. wait through this, wait through this, wait through this, and it's kind of like when you're arguing with somebody and they're making their argument, and you already know their argument, and you know mm-hmm. it's all wrong, and you don't agree with it. And it's like just you're just waiting for them to get done talking. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, but the end of it, man, is so amazing. Just watching God, and I love the attitude that God puts forth here I, I i sense it as attitude. kudos to god yeah because he he you know the words that he can defend himself and this is proof of that mm. and um he just he lays it out for job and his friends and it's like hey man did you do this the answer is no did you do this the answer is no and it goes on for like four chapters 38 39 40 41 40, five chapters of god just laying out what he's done, the amazingness of his power and like the fine detail that he pays attention to, like in, in just the workings of the world, um, setting limits for things, putting um, fine detail into feathers for different kinds of birds mm-hmm. and um, talking about lightning, talking about the Leviathan, which I think is pretty cool, and mm-hmm. the behemoth and mm-hmm. um, these these huge concepts and, and um, which we could talk about behemoth and Leviathan, but that's a different con- that's a different podcast, I guess. We can say that for the question and answer. Say for that. Okay, yeah, we could do that. Um, but and I just wrote down it's such a good picture of who our God is. These last chapters, not only in His power, but also in His kindness, right? Like what He shows to Job afterwards, um, how He restores him. And spoiler alert: if you haven't read it and we're planning on it, God gives Job more than he had originally. Mm-hmm. Then of course it was bad to lose, and I always. I always think about him losing like his kids and the Lord replaces his kids. But to me, that's like, you can't replace your kid, right? It's like, you know, and I think any parent that, that goes through like, you know, losing a child would, would agree. Like you can't replace a child. The Lord may give you other ones. So that's, that's always been kind of a trip up for me. So I just, Mm -hmm. I put, I, I, I put that on a shelf for a minute just to look at what the word is intending to say, which is that everything that the Lord took, he gave back. And I just put like, when the Lord wounds, he does it so that he will heal you. And he's like a surgeon, uh, like cutting away the bad so he can fill it with good, Uh, which is important to remember, I think, as we head into Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Uh, Because... Um, you know, it's not that, you know, we don't have a gospel that says that God will give you good things if you follow him, right? Mm. It's, a, it's a gospel of loss. He says, you know, take up your cross, follow me, you know, give what you have away, you know, live live humbly. Don't um, don't expect like this huge thing in this life. But Job, we he did get every a bunch of stuff in this life. Right. And it was just to show that God, you know, this is God's kindness. I almost view it as like an apology from God. Not that God would ever <laughs> never err, like because of course he does all things right and well. But it's like, you know, I put you through all this. Right. Here's here's a worldly blessing to say, you know, I do love you and take care of you mm-hmm. and I will give you more than you lost. And um, while that's not like a promise for us that we will receive things that we lose in this life, I think it does speak to God's character just as much as um, God talking about his many wondrous deeds in the previous chapters. As much as that talks about who God is, this shows who God is because he is kind and he cares about his people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a guarantee that he will double your returns in this life but it is a it is an indicator that you know he does care about you 
right? And he, and he may he may put you through rough stuff, but it's it's out of love and kindness. Yeah. So, um, I think if we don't, it's not that we shouldn't ask questions of the Bible, but we can. I think we can ask the wrong questions in the Book of Job. You know. Yeah. Like why? Do, well, that was really rude of God. Or like, okay, well, why did he take his kids? You know, like this is all. Right. And you know, there are lots of different ways we could go with that, but I don't think that's the point um, of Job. So it's just how you, I guess it's all based on what color glasses you read the Bible with. Yeah, I think I think part of the I, I agree with you on the, the what you, loss of children can't be replaced with additional children. I, I, and so, but if you're looking at it from a, a purely uh, the things that uh, they would have read into it, in that 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 was how your name carried on. Yeah. I mean, this is a pre-resurrection, pre-Christ uh, right. culture, and so all you have is your family and your family name and those to carry on your family name. Mm-hmm. And just to, I think it was just simply showing that God. Uh, did not deprive Job of that, that he gave him, that he yeah. restored that to him, yeah. that he restored his sons, his daughters, and so forth to carry on his family name. I, I think that passage, my favorite part of that section where God is speaking to Job is in chapter 40, where uh, 3 through 5, where Job just speaks three verses. Yeah. <laughs> he only speaks, actually, he only speaks two verses. It says, and Job answered and says, I'm so insignificant. How can I answer you? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's like God pauses and Job's like, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sorry. I can't believe I, uh, 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 it's like, well, yeah, Job says, okay, I'm not, uh, you know, you're right. You're right. I'm not going to say anything. And God's like, are you, you know, you're going to say something. He says, get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you talk to me. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, you just feel it and you feel so bad for job it's like here he is he's lost everything he's beaten down and he's and he's and you but you can sense this kind of like he's like feels indignant you know like i've got this i have the right to be justified and then when god starts speaking even this person who's lost everything is like all right i'm sorry i should have said anything i don't know why i'm here i would just go ahead take everything I've had those moments with my kid when, when it's like a reckoning moment, you yeah. know, and, and like, but I don't do it totally out of love. I mean, I think I do it partially out of love, but mostly out of my flesh. But it's, you know, he says it's sorry, and sometimes it's just not enough for me. You know, sometimes as a, as a parent, yeah. you're just like, no, you're not sorry. You're about to be sorry. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what God's doing a joke here. He's like, yeah. I get it, but there's more to say. I had a moment like that with my youngest. He, he made a statement. Uh, I was telling him some different things I needed him to do that day, mm-hmm. and uh, and he just said, "Why do we have to do everything?" And uh, <laughs> and it was like his siblings just had that like wide-eyed look, like I don't know what's gonna happen next, but it's not gonna be, good. Not gonna be good. Are you gonna kill now? <laughs> and so gonna... it's like so it was it was like a 35 minute. Let me explain to you what I do <laughs> that you don't do. Moment of life, so that we will never have this conversation ever again. And uh, yeah, so it was. Yep. It was delightful. Yep. <laughs> I think mine right. was my yeah. my oldest wandered into the street one time, and he got that. And then he he was like holding my youngest by his neck oh, gosh. while they were wrestling. Oh, wow. And so both of those times were a come to daddy moment, if not yeah. a come to Jesus moment. Wow. Yes. Good times. Yeah, you have even better times ahead. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, I that. believe it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my just FYI, my youngest is getting ready to turn twenty six, and uh, 
your oldest is getting ready to turn five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of fun stuff was in between there, my with, friend. Was a lot that conversation of, with John uh, <laughs> recent or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to him, it's, I, bet, I bet it feels recent to him. Actually, no, yeah. still feeling it. Yeah, you're still you're probably five years away from that that, oh, that conversation. No. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. But uh, I, you know, it, it, it may or may not. I mean, I didn't have it with the first three kids, so. <laughs> The um, I'm I'm in First Corinthians chapter five, uh, verses nine through twelve, and I just I think this is uh, uh, just important. Uh, I, I think Paul says some things in First Corinthians that are just worth bearing out. He says, "I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly do not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world." But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? And uh, this is one of those, I think, it's one of those passages that I don't think the body of Christ knows. (laughs) I, I think that there's a lot of people in the church unaware that Paul says very explicitly, uh, of course, eat with unbelievers and and people who are immoral in the world. You can't separate yourself from the world. I mean, that's uh, we've used this expression that Tony Evans, a pastor in Texas, uses. Mm-hmm. He says, "Sinners uh, sin." It's in their job in their job description. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you you have this expe- expectation that people who are in the world and not filled with the Holy Spirit and not followers of Jesus Christ are going to have a lot of immorality in their lives. So. To eat with them should be intentional for the purpose of bringing salt and light into their lives. Uh, but people within the church who are participating in those things, he's basically saying, don't fellowship with those people. And and, and what a great example. He says, don't don't even eat with them. You know, and what a great way to say that. Don't don't go out to lunch with them. Don't break bread with them. Don't invite them over to your house and fellowship. It's just because they have made a choice to call upon the name of Christ, yet continue to live in this sinful lifestyle. And uh, and so, uh, and, and they've been dealing with some pretty heinous sins up at, at this point. And, he, and he's basically saying, you are not just simply allowing this sin, you're really celebrating the sin of this person. And he said, and the things that people are doing in the church are things people in the world don't even do, mm-hmm. uh, that they would even see as being wrong. Right. And that happens in the church because I think we we become blind to it, oblivious to it, that we don't even realize that we've already crossed the boundaries of that which is comfortable for people in the world. Um, and, I mean, you see some of our great uh, evangelists and uh, and people who are, I think, of TV evangelists more so is what I'm thinking of, who have fallen in the past. And their sinfulness is maligned by people who are not even Christians, you know, who are like, oh, I don't do that. You know, you get arrested with a prostitute. It's like that doesn't happen a lot to anybody, you know, yeah. and it absolutely shouldn't happen. Uh, in the church, so it's um, it's one of those things that uh, I think we we a lot of times think we look at people in the world and we judge them and think I don't need to interact with them because they're sinful people, but uh, but really that standard needs to be turned into the into the church rather than outside. So, uh, but um, yeah, I think that's uh, yeah. I think I think it's pretty ingrained in us that we should not be. 
hanging out with sexually immoral people. Um, yeah, so just to, to, to dig into that a little bit, because I think before, and especially maybe um, in that in that time period and culture, mm-hmm. I think p- things went on a little bit longer in the open. Mm-hmm. So my, my question, I, and I don't really want to save it for question answer time, so I'm okay. just, um, because I have other questions there, but with... Um, like nowadays, things happen just in secret for so long. Right. So it's almost like most of the time the situation is they are caught. Mm. And so like I'm thinking of a specific situation that I don't need to get into. Of right. This this guy that I know um, was I knew very very well. It was very close to his family. Um, to committed this really ugly you know sexual sin that I don't need to get into. Um, and it was found out. It, he didn't like it wasn't. Uh, and then he was. I mean, there was like jail and all that stuff. Right. So. In that in that situation, like, do we just in that analyze like their heart posture, like, because repentance can happen at some point, right? Right. And he's and he's in full repentance as far as I know right now, and he's right. been restored and all that, and it's amazing. God's been doing amazing things, but like, at what point do you reestablish relationship? I think it's absolutely right at the repentance, at repentance. level. Yeah, when, I, I, is, isn't it hard though? To I like, think. Well, I think there is a. I, I mean, there is a. I think that's where the body of Christ comes together. I, well, I, I did a friend and who um, was in a sexual, sinful relationship. That brought out. And first, let me say that uh, there are a lot of secret things that happen in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And when God brings it to the forefront, it's a mercy given. It's him saying, you're not going to – this is never going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. And it's eating you away. It's a cancer in you. And so I'm going to bring it out into the open so it's dealt with. And, uh, and so – uh, and so it, it's hard, it's difficult, but it's like that's you've breached that point, mm-hmm. and that is handled differently than things that are, you know, uh, that never God never brings out, right. uh, and uh, because God brought it out, now everybody knows it. Now we have to deal with it in a way. Uh, there are, um, but when that does come out, and and there is a, a, a desire for repentance, I think. What happened in my friend's situation is the body of Christ came together, and well, his wife came to a group of pastors and said, "Would you put together a plan of reconciliation, of restoration?" Yeah. And so, together with her, we came up with this two-year plan of holding him accountable and seeing how, you know, before he would be allowed to serve again. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that it, it, I think the church and the within the body of Christ, I think that's what it's for, is to say. Hey, this is. We want to see this. If you're really, really repentant, we want to. We want to be there with you, mm-hmm. and we're. And here's what God has shown us and how to do yeah. this. I know in my relationship with my accountability partner that we've had for years, and 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 every accountability partner I've had, that's the purpose of that accountability relationship. It's not on a therapy session where I just mm-hmm. go and say, "Here's everything I did wrong. Here's everything I thought wrong, and this so forth." It is a, "Hey, this this was something that happened this week." And I don't want it to happen again. What are measures we can take so it doesn't ever happen again? Yeah. And and you follow those measures. People who are following those measures and doing what I I think that's Christianity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but well, I, I just yeah. the it, the reason I bring it up is because sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between repentance and guilt, feelings of guilt because right. you got caught, right? And I think the goal, obviously, always not maybe not obviously, but always the goal should be. How can we love them? You know, how can we draw them back? And so I think that the church sometimes stumbles over that. So that was the situation. Yeah. I mean, that's in Second Corinthians. You can see they were like, "Hey," and we believe that it's the same 
the same person mm -hmm. because he's like, hey, you know that person I told you about before mm -hmm. that I said don't eat with them basically and to turn them over to Satan? It's like uh, now you need to kind now of get back. yeah you yeah, need yeah. to get them back because now they've been repentant right. and and you're now you're now you're causing harm. It seems like we're always quick to do one or the other. We're we're either quick to like let them go and you know. They're gone now. We don't yeah. have to deal with them ever again. Right. Or quick to just say, oh, it's you know, it's fine. We're still gonna like hang with you, whatever. And yeah. so I think it's it's something churches need to wrestle with a little bit more. It is. And it's like it's parenting is no different. All relationships that are valuable relationships are just difficult. It's mm -hmm. you know, and just a simple metaphor in marriage. I remember the first time that my wife and I didn't agree on something, and it was like. What do we do hmm. now? He's like, I, you think this way, strong way. I think this way strongly. It's like, and we're supposed to stay together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't just quit and go find somebody else who agrees with me. It's like, we're going to have to continue on with life and find a way to agree without feeling like we're compromising. And, uh, and, and, and this is where a relationship with Christ is so important because at that point, it's like we both pursue, we look to Christ for that answer and then we find and we find a common ground in him and it's hard to describe how that happens each and every time but you what you what you leave with afterwards is the sense that god is real and that he is superintending this process and that he does that we he does want us to find that he has a common ground for us and he will lead us to that if we're seeking that out uh, and it affirms his it affirms our relationship with him, affirms our relationship with each other, it, and, and it's the process. That, and then you kind of understand this is why we went through it in the first place. This is why this all this is happening because uh, it forces us to look to him for this guidance and direction. So you have a friend that's fallen, and he says, I, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not going to be this person anymore. And you get together and you seek God's face. He gives you the wisdom and discernment in that situation uh, for what you need to do and how to handle it. And see, so I can't – I couldn't – you know, it's – it's tempting to say, well, would you write that down in a book Yeah, I know. so that we'll know what to do every time? And it's like, that's the whole point. I don't know what to tell you in your particular situation, except that you that everyone needs to seek the counsel of God's word, pray, seek guidance of the Holy Spirit, and that God will direct you through that and what you need to do in your particular scenario as to when you can't eat with that person again. Right. Cool. But, I, but I know this, if they are unrepentant, then don't eat with them. Right, right, for sure. Cool, cool. Um, okay, yeah. My my other thing, last thing, is in Ecclesiastes. Um, love Ecclesiastes, but I was I was going through. It's, I mean, I love it, but I hate it at the same time, I guess. And um, going through it, realize that Solomon writing about. I mean, this is a wisdom book, right? This is part of the wisdom literature. And um, Solomon, this is this is interesting because God gave him wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole deal. Um, and he also gave him stuff, like he gave him safety and wealth and all these things that he didn't ask for. And that's, you know, that whole conversation. Right. It's kind of a big moment in Solomon's life. And what I realized when I finished reading Ecclesiastes is that, like, God gave him wisdom and the, and the stuff, but I think he gave him wisdom through the stuff, if mm. that makes sense. It just kind of clicked in my head that wisdom maybe just happened overnight, but maybe, like, he learned wisdom mm. through pursuing all these other things that God gave him, right? God gave him the meaningless things to teach him wisdom. And I just wrote down, he had, he 
he achieved wisdom through the acquisition of possessions. He learned obedience through the things that he like suffered through. And I think that's a lot like Christ. In Hebrews 5, 8, 9, it says Christ um, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And I think that Solomon learned wisdom through the the possessions that he had. And he suffered through having to go through, oh, no, it's this doesn't give wisdom. Oh, no, that doesn't give security. Nope, that doesn't give lasting pleasure. And he, had to, he like, went through everything because he had all this money and had all this influence. He could experience everything. And God gave him that mm. as a gift, but it was also a teaching lesson, I think. And so I think I have in my head that Solomon just instantly became this, like, light switch, super wise guy. And I, that doesn't seem to be how God does things throughout the Bible. Like in the Matrix. Like in like the Matrix. Plugged you, in the back yeah. of his head. Hey, I need to know of... how to drive a helicopter kind of thing. <laughs> hey, I need, I need to know how to rule a nation. Now, I think he I think he learned it. And I think this is his process of learning that, man, nothing, nothing's good. Like, it's all worthless stuff. Hmm. So, I don't know. It's just a... Interesting. I you, you picture these Bible characters, you know, as these you, you said like like superheroes that yeah. they just get bit by a spider and all of a sudden they can do these crazy things and it's like never that way. Right. God, there's a process and there's a pro so there's a process with us too and we should like, yeah. be ready to expect that. I think that uh, well I'm just gonna say this I think the body of Christ needs to read Ecclesiastes again. Yeah. <laughs> because we have this. We are enamored with people of wealth and power, and uh, and and here you have Solomon, who's a person of wealth and power, and uh, and he's saying, you know what? I die just like everybody else, mm-hmm. and when it's all over, it all just goes to nothing, okay. and and everything I did, it's going to be undone by other people, and literally his son did <laughs> <laughs> did exactly that, uh, and and you realize why am I putting so much hope in and why am I lifting this person so high up on a pedestal when the reality is you think of like Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos and those people and say, oh, my gosh, they have so much money and so much money. It's so powerful, whatever. And then you see them doing things that we all want to do. But at the end, it doesn't give them any greater satisfaction. We And and, and it should learn from that. You should be learning, saying, obviously, that's not I, I could spend the rest of my life pursuing that. And then I get it. And it's just a fleeting moment, and then it's no big deal. And you got people trashing you on social media over it, and so forth, and, and <laughs> take all the pleasure out of it. But the, uh, yeah, and so it's uh, it's just I I wish that we I, I'm always amazed at how the body of Christ looks to people of wealth and power, and 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 thinks that those people are the answer to our problems. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's uh, it's I think that's Jesus. I think <laughs> he's the one that we're still. That could be. To, yeah, it could be. I analyze that. Let's try. Let's all think about that. Um, let me see. Yes, First uh, Corinthians chapter eight, verse two through six. It says, "And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other god but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth." as there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. Uh, you know, we tend to get more zealous and passionate for knowledge and to for religious understanding than in perfecting our love for each other. And and this is something that just come is so prevalent in the body of Christ where we 
We spend more time thinking about uh, the how we get puffed up in our understanding of the word, our understanding of the Bible and so forth. And if there's any any place for that, uh, I mean, talk about somebody who's been to seminary for more time than he ever should have spent there. Uh, and 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 so you have this, uh, you get this knowledge, and there's a temptation to say, oh, I know so much more about this than you know, and, and, uh, and, and to think there's something in that. But if you learn all of this, it really is a 1 Corinthians uh, 13. If I, if I learned everything the Bible has to say, but I don't have love, I don't have anything. I've just got, I've, I've an exercise in futility. And one of the things that Paul is very clear about is recognizing the weaknesses of other people and that, yes, um, you know, I don't, I don't esteem one day above another. I don't, um, I don't think about eating things or, you know, obviously meat sacrificed to idols is not a big deal here, but we do have a lot of things that are uh, weaknesses for people. One of the things that, if you know me, is characteristic of me is I don't ever drink alcohol and made that choice a long time ago just because I knew it was a stumbling block for some and I never know who it is a stumbling block for. And that was an easy thing to do just to say, well, it was, I mean, it's just liquid, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I know to try to be intoxicated or seek to be intoxicated, that would be wrong, and, and he wants us to be sober-minded. So I don't take medication that makes me um, loopy or whatever, or whatever you know, outside of my faculties. I don't drink anything that's going to do the same. And I'm very careful about perception. Um, I had a friend who uh, we used to drink IBC root beer and comes in a brown, dark brown bottle. Oh, yeah. And he said, yeah, but I leave it in a paper bag so people don't think I'm drinking a beer. And I was <laughs> like, wow, you're... You are really naive. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Love that thinking. Love that thinking. Uh, but anyway, there, but you know, you're trying to, we're trying to keep away from the appearance of evil. And, and I've had, you know, a lot of people say, and we used to pastor in Northwest and they'd say, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with me drinking a glass of wine and there's nothing in the Bible that prohibits that. And I said, you're mostly right. I said, but there is a passage that says, you shouldn't do it if it's a stumbling block for somebody else that they think that that's something that's wrong. Um, you know, uh, uh, celebrating Halloween, you know, I don't think I, like I said, I don't put it in one day or another other than going around collecting candy. I don't see anything wrong with that, but I, that should it, be an everyday thing. Yeah, exactly. Collecting, uh, collecting candy, candy yeah. from people's houses should be an everyday thing. I exactly. I, yeah, absolutely. I'm in favor of that. But, uh, but if there's people who think, oh no, it's Satan's holiday and so forth. And if you do it, you participate in, then you're part of Satan's horde or whatever. Then with those people, I don't do it. And I don't, and I'm, I'm careful about uh, politics. I don't I try to, uh, people are like preachers shouldn't be in any particular political affiliation. And I don't, I don't think that's true, but, uh, but if that's a struggle for a person, I, I always go back to what Paul says. I'm not here to establish my own rights. I'm not here to eat or drink. I'm here to be God's instrument for the glory of Christ and for the furthering of the gospel. And so I'm on mission. And so I stay focused on the mission that I'm on and, and try to be all things to all people in order that I might win some. And, and I, in, and denying myself those things is just part of what God has called us to do. Uh, and and he doesn't make it – I mean loving other people is that people are more important than those things. And their salvation is more important than those things. And that's and I think that's what we have to always have in mind. When you go to other countries, you know, one of the things that I didn't realize till I started traveling is how people don't like Americans. And I didn't understand that. I thought, why would not – I mean, we're we're such amazing people. <laughs> why why wouldn't everyone love Americans? We're so awesome, you know. And then realize, oh, maybe 
maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's because we think we're so awesome. <laughs> and uh, and I remember we were in France on a mission trip, and uh, and we were walking through. Uh, we were visiting the Louvre, and uh, we were walking, and this guy was speaking in these different languages, trying to figure out what nationality the people were. Like he was a uh, guy worked at a restaurant vendor, yeah. and uh, and so forth. And and it was like. And he would try one language, and he tried a different language. It was just fun to watch him trying to guess what countries were. So as we're walking closer to him, um, I was like, oh, this will be fun, him trying to guess what we are. Yeah. And uh, and we get close, and he goes, what's up, guys? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? He's <laughs> like, so how do you know we're American? He goes, you can spot an American <laughs> a mile away. And, and then he starts to describe to us, us. And I was like, holy cow. That is us, and we don't. You know, it's like you know somebody pointed out that we're the we have our own electricity. Nobody else in the world uses our electricity. That we are the one ten electrical people, and every appliance has to be tailored. There's American <laughs> electric electronic products, and there's everybody else. <laughs> and they said, you know, so that just kind of gives you that kind of uh, oh. we're going to stick with this because we're us, and yeah. our way's better. And so, we're, and we're the Apple of the country. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the fact that we have Apple, you know, it's like they, it's, it's just that's how we think. And and not to trash on us, but it's but it is it is a humbling thing to realize that not everybody loves us and and so when you're in other countries it's like i remember uh this was when we would work in some countries that had a very much more stricter were stricter religiously than we are mm-hmm. they viewed our country based on the movies that they watched and so you had uh so when we go there we wear extremely conservative clothing we act very conservatively and so forth, not because – and we can see people who are not as conservative looking as we are, but uh, but they would say, you know, thank you. They said we, we expect Americans to look slutty really is what mm-hmm. they were saying yeah. as far as the women go, right. especially the women, right. because that's the way we view women on TV and so mm-hmm. forth. And they said, but you all res- seem to respect our culture and respect mm-hmm. who we are and so forth. And that's and that's us saying, yeah. Because we we love you, yeah. you know, and it gave us gives you a voice, gives you an opportunity to speak to people, because you're just saying I care more about you than my own rights to do what I want to do. Right. Cool. 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 All right. Well, let's pause there. Um, we got we got this. This is a great place for questions. It is a good so. place for questions. So let's come back and we'll do a question or two. We're back. We're gonna talk about, we have questions. I have questions. Questions. If you have questions, questions, drop them in the comments or send us an email if you're listening to the podcast, and we would love to answer those um, as soon as we can get to them. But uh, my questions are mostly around 1 Corinthians. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that there are things in Job that I will just not understand until I get to heaven, right? <laughs> yeah. um, specifically around the Leviathan behemoth. We're going to talk about that before we go. Excellent. So, yeah. um, but 1 Corinthians, right? So we were talking about the things that it says, and we were talking during the break about how it is so practical and so good um, for today. And then you get to parts in 1 Corinthians that – and it, some of this will be in future readings. But um, some parts are, are kind of like – it's almost like every time you ask somebody – of biblical authority about it, they're like, oh, well, that's just their culture and their time. That's right. just where that's speaking to. And specifically, I'm thinking about some of the ways that they treat women, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. or, and I'd say treat 
women loosely, things pertaining to women, um, particularly uh, when they're when they're allowed to speak, when they're not allowed to speak, um, what they're allowed to wear on their head, what they're not allowed to wear on their head. Um, like in ver- what did we say, chapter 11? Um, mm-hmm. Chapter 11. It says, and and I get the the speaking thing a little bit more than I get this, but um, it's talking about a man should not cover his head because, and I'm wearing a hat right now, so I'm already probably in disobedience, but should not cover his head because he's God's image and glory, but women is man's glory. So pick that apart, world. Uh, but man did not come up come from women, but women came from man. Man was not created for women, but woman for man. This is why women should have a symbol of authority over head because of the angels. So that three three verse section. Right. Really, I could I just scratch my head over. Yeah. Well, there is there is a when you're dealing with the Church of Corinth and so forth that there are a lot more things because it is a Roman uh, province, um, and uh, and and there are all types of things in Corinthians that uh, that kind of merges with history that we already have because we understand things that they were practicing at that time. Like, for instance, that Romans would shave the head of a woman who was caught in adultery as a way of shaming her and so forth. And and also a lot of uh, prostitutes would have their heads shaved and so forth. So when you know that, that mindset, then it would be like, okay, a woman who's got all her hair cut off. Uh, and, and then there were also temple cult practices at that time that were prevalent in Roman culture and so forth. And because we know those things historically, and, and it, it really is, but the principle stays the same in that here you have a cultural uh, thing that is happening, but at the same time, we need to make sure that we as the church are not doing things that, um, that are showing that we are a part of that uh, that mindset or that give people the appearance. It, it goes like the way we we're saying about uh, drinking earlier. And, and we don't eat the food sacrificed to idols is a cultural thing. We don't have temples where meat has been sacrificed and so forth. So technically we do not participate in that, but the principle is the same. And that when you have some, when somebody's looking and saying, Oh, you're eating that. It's like, like a good example would be eating a fortune cookie at a Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that there are those little sayings are printed on whatever things or whatever. But if somebody's like, "This is how I base my life. I grew up in this culture, and we live off. Uh, we go. We observe the fortune cookies and so forth. <laughs> that fortune, we're fortune cookie worshippers, and they're trying to escape from that. Um, then that would be problematic. If I'm then opening a fortune cookie, you know, instead I'm like, I don't even look at them, or uh, whatever. If they if there are people who think you shouldn't even look at them, then when I'm with those people, I don't look at them because I don't want them to I don't want to weaken their faith uh, in something, even though I know there's nothing to it. Same thing with uh, the head covering uh, when I uh, that the I mean, if they if you believe that this that the head covering is necessary, I mean, something we still do today is men will remove their hats when they pray. Yet we know that that was a that's a cultural norm and there literally is nothing to biblically that says god doesn't hear your prayers when your hat's on uh so but which yeah because that confused me because i thought the yamcha was like a was a jewish man thing like when they right. wear a hat when they prayed right exactly so why would they take their hat off that completely blows the because emotion. it's a new testament that's what i'm saying it's a, it was a cultural thing in uh-huh. the new testament so they're saying men should not have their head covering women should have their head covered speaking to a cultural thing. And so we have taken that into the church as saying men should remove their hat when they mm-hmm. pray as a sign of respect and so forth. Now, culturally, that could still be true. 
even here, that some men won't wear their hat at the dinner table. Some men, you know, I've been in a lot of churches where you don't wear a hat in church, you know. Uh, and uh, I mean, probably here. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so so you have this idea, but that's so the idea is is that Paul's saying just know know the room, yeah, <laughs> you know. Sure. And uh, but there's nothing theological here that God is saying. I don't hear the prayers of people. Uh, so he's not giving us a principle that holds true in every tribe, every tongue kind of thing, uh, everywhere in the world. Um, that there's no uh, nothing being revealed to us that says that somehow a head covering hinders our ability to pray or whatever, mm-hmm. but does show that in this culture doesn't mean that. So if I'm in a culture where it's celebrated that women and shave their heads or whatever, and you know, and it's no big deal or whatever, but uh, I mean, my wife was had to have her head shaved because she has cancer, you yeah. know, and so I, I'm not thinking her head uh, that she her prayers are heard any less definitely than mine and so forth. Uh, but um, but you know, if we were in a cultural setting where it was still important for it, she would cover her head just to just as a means to be respectful to the culture that we're in. So okay, so, so yeah. my other question is is around the same spot. I think you said it's, I'm having trouble finding it right now, but you mentioned it was in chapter seven where Paul kind of. Uh, deviates from his narrative and says, mm-hmm. now, but previously it was the Holy Spirit's leading. It is not at this moment the Holy Spirit. It's just me, Paul, giving you advice, and I think right. that I have the Spirit of the Lord in me. But he's kind of, he pretty much says, it seems like he says, I, I'm stopping writing what the Holy Spirit is told right. me to write. Now it's just me. And then he picks back up later in verse 7, um, verse uh, 10, where it says, okay, now the Lord is starting, is talking again. Yeah, right. So, um, how do we treat that middle, that middle zone where he basically he's, he outright says it's not the Holy Spirit, right? It's just me. I, I think I think I'm so appreciative of that. I'm so appreciative that he says. I think that's important. Uh, that's a really important moment in reading the writings of Paul and understanding the inerrancy of the Holy, uh, the authoritative word, the inerrancy of the, and the infallibility of the Holy Spirit and so forth. Because you have this moment where Paul actually takes within the inspired word to say, this is not from God. This mm-hmm. is from me. And so because he is speaking on the inspiration, we were to take those words literally mm-hmm. that what he's saying here is not authoritative. But it adds authority but, to everything else. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. But when he, when he goes back and says, no, this is the Lord, that is authoritative. But he's basically taking a moment saying, this is just my own moment here of saying, here is what from my own wisdom and own guidance as a person, I think this is better. And he tells you why he thinks it's better. Uh, if he had not added that, wow, think of the difficulty we'd have today in the church. Yes. Uh, because it's that's like, a particular section. It is a very important thing about not getting married. Not getting married, yeah. Yeah, and so he's saying, well, he said, because I, how would you argue that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be looking to Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Lord says we shouldn't be married. Well, then, that's the word. Right. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't get married. But instead, it's oh no, it's better if you don't get married because you don't have those entanglements. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that's and Can't so you're like it. so you're able to put and say well that's just mm-hmm. he's not in any way there is no way form or fashion that the word is saying that a person shouldn't get married that it's better if you can but that's not and Jesus even says that mm-hmm. that uh, yeah it's better if you can but that's not for everybody right. not everybody everybody's called to be single and I think. And and this is uh, when I teach about getting married, when I'm pre- doing premarital counseling and so forth, I tell people, I said, some people can't be unmarried. 
Some people need another person in order to complete what it is that God has put them here to do. And uh, and I'm one of those people. I, I recognize that I was not as complete without my wife as I am with my wife. And I've proven that over 32 years. That's that I am a better follower of Christ with her than I was without her. Uh, and that is not even questionable. I've heard people <laughs> yeah. call celibacy or singleness a spiritual gift if you can do it forever because you're uniquely gifted to accomplish in one right. person what you're, what two people are meant to accomplish. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with that. I do not have that gift yeah, I do or calling gift or whatever you, want, whatever you want to say. <laughs> I don't even is. want that gift. That's right. <laughs> which, which, go, which reveals the, exactly that I don't have it. Right. So, uh, but I think that, uh, yeah, I do, I do. And he's saying that there are people, he's just basically saying, if you do have that call to singleness, if you have that giftedness, then don't feel like you have, there's no reason to be married. And the culture and our culture is a lot like this today, too, drives people to marriage, saying, no, you need to be married. I mean, well, in Christian culture. Yeah, it's Christian it. culture, for sure. Yeah, and and I, I think Paul's saying, that's not true. If you can do this without being married, then absolutely do yeah, it without absolutely. being married. Yeah, so. Yeah. So those are my questions. I know you had something. I wanted to just to talk about the. You brought it up twice, so I know you think about it. I think but, about it all the time. But the Leviathan and the Behemoth, uh, the Behemoth especially, is one of my favorite things because here it is. This is this is one of those things. I, I think that uh, the Behemoth, uh, when you think of it, it's, it's the tail that he waves like a cedar tree, and every time you look at it, how this interpreted and so forth. Here's here's all I'm saying about this. It gives us room to believe that that's a dinosaur. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, any kid who grows up seeing a sauropod with that giant tail or whatever, it's like, I mean, you hear that description like, that's yeah, a brontosaurus. That that's a brachiosaur. <laughs> that's or a brontosaurus. That's that's something. That's that's big legs eating. I mean, you get the pictures in our head. Uh-huh. And these weren't people who were reading Job making these pictures. These are people just with fossil records and so forth coming up with these images and so forth. And it's like, holy cow, that's holy brontosaurus. That's <laughs> that's uh, you know, uh, that's that's the Jurassic same Park animal. Uh, yeah, exactly. Jurassic Park moment. Uh, and because there's no animal alive that okay. matches that description. None. And so you're you're talking about almost definitively oh, yeah. an extinct animal. So, yeah, assuming we're talking about actual animals, right? right. Since we're on that page, we're on that topic. Well, and I, I, I've seen the arguments for mythical creatures or whatever. Yeah. I just, I, there's nothing in the text oh, yeah. that lends itself. Well, and it takes away from God. If you say they're mythical, then, I mean, here's God having the syscourt using an examples of animals to prove that his own power. And it's right. like, if he's choosing mythical creatures, just, uh-huh. well, that undermines his own argument. And I don't think God undermines his own argument. So since we're, again, since we're talking literal animals, mm-hmm. we got the Leviathan also. The who Levi- the, shoots fire out of his mouth. That sounds dragonish, doesn't it? That sounds eerily <laughs> dragonish. And it's a sea creature we're yeah. given to believe. A pleosaur. So I can, uh, there you go. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Some animal back then shot fire from the mouth. And yeah. I can adjust my understanding of dragon to fit this, yeah. right? Well, I, I, if you've ever seen the image of a pleosaur, and I brought that mm-hmm. up, uh, it has those wing-like – I mean if you see the fossils of it, mm-hmm. it looks like it has wings. Now, there's no thought process we have that makes us think it flies. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we don't – I mean Dude. to say it shoots fire out of his mouth, I don't know. There's a reason. I'm just it saying would, – It would be natural – I think it would be natural for me, a fire-breathing creature, to live in water. Mm. But anyway, that's just me. I'm just saying there's a reason why every tradition on the planet has dragons in yeah. their mythology. Yes, and even real. even in the word using dragons yeah. uh, to yes. denote Satan and so forth, the serpent, dragon, the of serpent, old, serpent with legs yeah. in the garden. Yeah, 
Looks a lot uh, like yeah. a dragon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, uh, I, you know, I mean, who? I don't know that we necessarily have drawn up things. I mean, to me, I think the dragon would be uh, a name or a descriptor, again, for another fossil record that mm-hmm. we have that we just – because there's absolutely no way in the fossil record to know whether the thing can breathe fire. Or right. Not. Yeah, yeah, there's no – I mean, those organ if there's, that would be an organ, and that yeah. would be gone. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, so, and again, we're not saying that these things prove that there are dinosaurs. We're just saying it leaves that door open. Yeah. And there's no reason to think that that wouldn't be the case. Right. I've never once been in the camp of, and this is probably inflammatory, but I'm leaving anyway. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Never once been in the dinosaurs don't exist camp. It's just a matter. Oh, that definitely that. I I I I, I, I know that. I know. I well, I have. I have family members who don't believe, oh, but okay. the, uh, but I mean, I, I wanted to be a paleontologist before Me too. I, I know, and something. That was my thing. Oh, yeah. wow. How about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Until like I was yeah. called yeah. to ministry. Really. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> true. True statement. That's exactly true for me too. Um, and it started in geology. I loved rocks and minerals and so forth. And then quickly went to paleontology, but the, um, and a friend wanted to do archaeology and I, I love archaeology as well. No disrespect but, the archaeologists. We just prefer the archaeopteryx. Exactly. And so the, the but the idea of looking I used to go through coal mines and strip mines and so forth looking for fossils and have quite a few and so forth and I I don't have any issue with that whatsoever now carbon dating system you can rule that I mean I'm not gonna argue the yeah. uh, the age or whatever because it's uh, it's older than me that's all I know <laughs> uh, but uh, but to say that men and dinosaurs didn't exist on the planet at the same time I'm not gonna I don't say that at there's, all yeah, and no so definitive. but uh, absolutely I think that Job uh, knew what they were talking about mm-hmm. even if even if even at that time they just had the stories yeah yeah that yeah. they had been told so, yeah. but room. yeah I, I, I think for so. his room exactly and uh, and the behemoth more so than well the Leviathan with the fire breathing I don't think uh, yeah I'm 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 with it so, and yeah. then uh, the behemoth with his giant tail, giant tail. it's like it, and people say it's an elephant Dude, or whatever elephants have tiny tails I know well they say it's its trunk it's talking about but then but then it's got a nose issue because it also talks about a ring in its uh, nose it's like well if it's got a trunk yeah. it doesn't have a ring in its nose which means so. they rode dinosaurs yeah. if they put rings yeah. in their noses yeah. They had them harnessed. We can go. This is a this is a different yeah. podcast. Yeah, Thank which, you guys. Which is where Flintstones comes from. <laughs> which is where Flintstones. Yeah, it's a biblical. It's a <laughs> biblical right. narrative. You can kind of see Job riding down the tail of the dinosaur. Oh my! <laughs> coming off into we're, his car. We're deteriorating quick. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to the podcast. We'll catch you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.